Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. So, SJ, I have something exciting to tell you. I have something exciting to tell you. Okay, you go first. I sold my food trailer. <gasps> what? Yeah. No way. I can't remember which episode it was, but it's social enterprise with my ex. I talked about <laughs> how I bought a food trailer with my brother and we were going to save the world and kind of naive. But five years on, <laughs> it is sold. How much money did you lose on the food trailer? Um, how much money did we lose? $1,200? So in a sense, you leased a food trailer for $200 a year. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. A food trailer yeah. that I didn't use for anything. Yeah, 240 bucks a year, you had your own food trailer. That That's only like 20 bucks a month. That's great. That's a really good deal you got there. Wait a minute, is that right? We bought it for 2300 Sold it for 1500 We also spent like $500 on it. So I feel like that. Yeah, we lost like $1,200. <laughs> no, no, don't think of it as losing it. Think of it as renting a food trailer. <laughs> no, it's worse if I think about it like that. <laughs> No, but what I have gained is that thing out of my life. Yeah, that's true. You have you paid $1,200 to not have a food trailer in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on another podcast that's going to be launching in March called Starving Artist. And every episode is an interview with a different creative. And I recorded one of the last interviews the other day with my friend Jeff about doing your tax the first part of it is us talking about like getting stuck in tax shame and being in a place where you haven't done your tax for like four years. Oh. <laughs> and he was talking about like the, the space where you get into where you're like, oh God, this thing, yeah. <laughs> my life. I talk about it all the time, but Eat, Eat That Frog is a productivity book that absolutely changed my life because the whole premise of it is first thing you do when you get up is do the most difficult and annoying tasks that you have. And then, like, it consumes a bunch of time and, and, and it's stressful, but then you don't have to do that thing anymore and you're so much more free. And so, like, uh, today I called my, my accountant with a list of questions that my bookkeeper friend is like, you've got to ask your accountant these things. And it's the worst is when you try to call them and they don't answer. And so you're like, I just spent, like, an hour psyching myself up for this awful conversation and it didn't even happen. Yeah. Like we've talked about emotional energy in the past and that, that is a big part of it. Like when, when you, you know, when you have to like make a doctor's appointment, it's not just actually making the doctor's appointment, which is pretty easy. It's setting that time aside and dealing with the annoying complications of having to make a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Like we just spent the last 20 minutes, maybe even half, half maybe 40 minutes actually fucking around with technology. <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm in a, difficult mood today uh, for other reasons but I was like fuck this <laughs> <laughs> recording the episode is the easiest part oh yeah yeah sitting down Everything and chatting for an hour is, is, 
it's a thing that you do every day without thinking about it. It's like editing it and working out which parts to cut and keep and getting the show notes together and making the time to do all of those things. And Well, that's why for me, I like couldn't deal with the emotional energy of editing because it's not just, so first of all, I don't like editing my own voice. Like I really, really don't like it. And then my whole week became around this dreaded task. So it wasn't even like, oh, I need to spend five hours doing that thing at some point in the week. It was like all of the thinking around it and guilt. Yeah. And putting it off and yeah. And putting it off. Oh my God, so much putting it up. <laughs> eat that frog, man. You got to eat that frog. I refuse to eat the frog. You know that I love making lists, yeah? Like that's one of the reasons the website workflowy.com I just adore. Yeah. I, I never have a use for these lists. I just like making them. And so I have a list of, and I think you'll appreciate this, the Uh-oh. things that I have wasted the most money on. Wow. Like, what is on the list? So I, it's, it's not it's not a finalized list. And I don't want you to judge me for sharing this list in its proto phase. But okay. I've got like a list. I've, I've got a sub list, which is stuff that will go on the list when this is a completed list. And then when I have the list, I never do anything with it. I'm not like, well, I can send that off to the president and know that I've done my job for the day. I just like having lists of stuff. But what the hell's on the list? Well, okay. So have you ever heard of Fruity Loops? Uh, like as in the audio editing software or the serial? The audio editing software. Yeah. So we're in 2007 when I was living in Brisbane, I downloaded the, the free trial of Fruity Loops yeah. and I made a song and I was like, that sounds like an actual song. So I paid $600 for the full version of Fruity Loops. <laughs> Wait a Do you still have that song and can we listen to it? <laughs> I didn't think it was good, but I was like, oh, that is the best song I have ever made. I know, but I want to hear what the best song you ever made oh, in it's... 2007 would sound like. Okay, so... Do you want the context for the song? Is it funny? It's just, it's very representative of 2007, Peter. Yes, I want the context. So my cousin Gavin and I used to perform as a comedy duo called the Chainsaw Blokes when we were in high school. And we made and filmed and wrote and edited three comedy DVDs that went for an hour, an hour and like 10 minutes, then an hour and a half. Which, when you're in high school, is fucking insane. But we did it. And the first one is just crap. The second one has some good jokes. And the third one, like, if you cut that down, that would be like 10 to 20 minutes of actually quite good comedy. And how long is it? An hour and a half. (laughs) And so what I did was I downloaded the free trial of Fruity Loops. I pulled in some random clips from (laughs) that comedy DVD. And I gave it like a beat or like some music behind it. And... I was like, that sounds like a thing. I, like, looking back at it now, no, it doesn't. It, it really, really doesn't. But at the time, I was like, I made, a, I made a little song. I could get this program and I could be a person who makes music. Oh, oh, this went to a beautiful place very quickly. <laughs> so I bought Fruity Loops Studio, FL Studio was called at the time, FL Studio for 600 Australian dollars. And or maybe three hundred. It was a lot of hundred Australian dollars, and then never opened it again. <laughs> but Fruity Loops, in my mind, is renowned as being like the free program that everyone used. Uh, I, I know I got, I got the full version because the free version wouldn't let you export stuff, and I uh, okay. opened it like maybe five times, but I could never get it to do anything. So I just kept it. <laughs> so were you like? Oh, here's a career that only cost me $600. I was like, it would be a useful skill to have. And I still think it would be a useful skill to have to be able to like make professional sounding music. 
it is not a skill I will ever have, and I'm okay with that. It's just like that skill is like someone's entire career. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that would be handy to have like the skill set of someone's entire career. I mean, like I can I can now graphic design to a point where it looks decent. And I don't mean like hire me as a full-time graphic designer, but I can make like, you know, when we were putting our Kickstarter together, I put all the images together and they look pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I was I was just hoping for that level of skill with music where I could be like, "Oh yeah, that sounds pretty good." That's how I felt when I because I know a bit of like Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, Premiere, Final Cut type stuff. And I was like, Dreamweaver. So Dreamweaver is like at the Adobe suite, but for <laughs> making websites. And I was like, oh, so hideous. Well, I know how to do all the other ones. So clearly this will just be really easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was not. It was very yeah. complicated. I didn't make a CSS. single damn website. CSS and graphic design, I'm at that level where I'm like, look, I can't make something out of CSS, but I can manipulate CSS and make something look pretty decent. I just wanted to get to that level with music. And I was like, if I buy this program, after a few weeks of playing with it, I'll be able to be like, oh yeah, whip up a song. I can do that. Like, it won't be an ARIA winning song, but for like the end credits of a short film I'm making, it'll be perfectly adequate. And now you just get me to try and do all your sound design. And then yeah, I just like, much I'll do one version and then I won't do anything for two months. Yeah, it's, it's actually still a much better system than me doing <laughs> Also on my list is one time I bought a laptop. Like, did you ever have like one of the mini laptops? Mm, so they're these super portable little PCs. I don't even know what they're called. EEPCs or EEPCs or something like that. And like they are about two-thirds the size of a, of a MacBook or, or a little bit smaller than that. And they're just like a little mini computer that you can like use for surfing the web and stuff like that when you're on the go. So it's like a little travel computer. Yes. Uh, I bought one of those and opened it and was like, this is everything I need and used it for half an hour and then broke it. <laughs> How much did it cost? Uh, it, was, it was probably, again, like two, three, four hundred dollars, you know, around that mark. What else is on the list? Like, can you, like, what's uh, on the list? Wait on, you don't have the list in front of you? No, no, no. I've been brewing it for a long time. It's a proto list. I said that. Oh, sure. Okay, 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 okay. The issue with this list is it's hard to define what is wasting money. Like, those two are pretty clear examples where I spent a bunch of money on a thing that I never used. But also, I used to own, like, 1,500 DVDs. Yeah. You, you and did. I spent, like, thousands of dollars on those DVDs. And then when I left Australia, I was like, I will sell these DVDs. And I no. got for... <laughs> All of my DVDs, like, 230 bucks. You will not sell those DVDs. Yes. And so, like, I did watch those DVDs a lot, and I got use out of them. So it wasn't really a waste, but at the same time, it was kind of a waste. Yeah. Or, or like, like, do you remember the game Soulforge? I used to play all the time. It was a, an app that you could yeah. play. It was a competitive collectible card game that was digital only. Yeah. And I, I probably put, like several hundred dollars maybe up to like a thousand dollars into that game because i really enjoyed it and i spent hours and hours on it wait on you put up to a thousand dollars into that game I, I like i don't know exactly how much but i i remember putting like i, I would buy a lot of stuff maybe maybe up to i don't know somewhere between two hundred dollars and a thousand dollars i don't know that's a really big difference how i didn't know that you could spend money in that game <laughs> Yeah, you can buy packs and all that kind of stuff. And I used to buy packs and then film myself opening them. And like, if you go into my old Let's Play YouTube channel, there's like 200 videos of me just playing Soul Forge and opening <laughs> packs and stuff like that. I remember there was a point in our relationship where I was like, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but 
I was annoyed that you had forgotten the name of my cat. Yeah, that was like the first Until I realized that I had forgotten the name of that game you used to play <laughs> all of the time. And I was like, really can't be angry. Like, you played that game all the fucking time. Well, that was my way of escaping from our incredibly stressful relationship. <laughs> Perfect. Because our relationship was complex and unwinnable. And this game was organized and winnable. And like... I have a systems brain and no amount of systems could ever help with our relationship. But this, this was a system I could plug myself into and just go. I feel like we had a semi-systems approach to our relationship. Yeah, we tried. We tried many, many, many (laughs) systems. And so, like, does that count? Like, let's say theoretically I put $1,000 into that. I got hundreds of hours enjoyment out of it. And just, uh, just a week ago, actually, on the 31st of January they shut that game down and deleted the server. So, like, I can never access that game again. All the cards I bought are now gone forever. Oh, wow. That's actually really sad. I know. I was, I was like, oh, I haven't played that game in over a year now. But I always knew that I could log back in. Does that count as wasted money? This is why I'm struggling with my list. Oh, this is why it's in proto-stage. Yeah, it has been for a while. I read a book over Christmas called The Barefoot Investor. Uh, it's actually like a... I think I recommended it to you. I would actually recommend people Sorry, I, I only actually listen to recommendations when Bo Burnham gives them. If you recommend <laughs> something, I'm going to ignore you. If Bo Burnham would have recommended it, that's when I would read that book. Okay, I will tweet at Bo Burnham and see if he will retweet my Barefoot Investor suggestion. <laughs> Just to me, though. Specifically to me. It's coming from a particular place. It's a book that's meant for a wide audience. Um, so he uses like really simple metaphors and that kind of stuff. Some of the stuff that he says in the book, I'm like, oh my God, shut up. Like jokes about how like women, you know, my wife never wants to have sex with me or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh my God, just, ugh. but, just don't. <laughs> but the, the advice in the book is, is pretty spot. I don't know from my experience, pretty spot on. And I suggested it to a friend of mine who's like way better with, money and creative life and strategy than me and she and her partner read it and then her partner came and to me and was like oh my god thank you so much for that book suggestion it's so good and I was like oh great you guys know way more about this stuff and you're thanking me for this book (laughs) perfect but in the book it says think about oh I know I know the bit you want to talk about uh in the book he talks about if you have stuff in your life then hold it and if it brings you joy, keep it. And if it doesn't, then you thank it for its service and you get rid of it. Yeah, no, it's that's book. Marie Kondo, the pretty, magic pretty sure art it's a of investor. tidying up. It's mm, not the Pretty same. sure it's the same book. Okay, sure. I, well, <laughs> I mean, they do have some similar th- themes. I mean, I got to say that Barefoot Investor focuses more on compound interest and superannuation. <laughs> uh, Marie Kondo... <laughs> focuses more on how to fold your clothes <laughs> genuinely it spent like 20 minutes actually no that's probably like i think every video is 20 minutes i probably spent a lot longer than that watching all the videos on how to fold your clothes using the Marie Kondo technique did we talk about how mad you got the other day how mad i got yeah i was on telegram to you and i said uh i told you something and you're like why did you not tell me on the podcast i am so annoyed right now Oh, I don't even remember what it was. Uh, I'm doing the SJ thing of telling the story of a story, but I, I jumped on Telegram the other day and messaged you saying, hey, are you ready to get very annoyed? And you're like, what? No, sure, what is it? Uh, and I was like, I just watched a video on how to fold fitted sheets. Oh, you fuckstick. That's <laughs> right. 
Yeah, you shithead. When we were going out, I printed out instructions on how to fold a fitted sheet because it's folding a fitted sheet is confusing. And I stuck them on the wall in our bedroom. I, I remember. And you still refused. You were, you were like, it doesn't affect my life at all. I don't give a shit. I'm not folding this stupid fitted sheet. Yeah, because I had tried once or twice. It was really annoying. And I was like, this is just not worth it. Like, fuck this shit. So what's different now? Uh, so don't, don't take this the wrong way. Oh, I am but, bound to. But Lucy's just a better person than you. I don't think that's the truth. <laughs> no, it's just like, I still don't care about fitted sheets at all, like 0%, but Lucy does. And it's not that I care more about Lucy. It's just that I've become a, a better partner. You played that well. Yeah, thank you. You played that very <laughs> well. And so I was like, look, this is a thing that's important to Lucy. I am going to learn it because it's important to him. So I should know how to fold a fitted sheet. <laughs> It's yeah. still stupid and a waste of time, but, you know, it's important to him. Yeah. I mean, I can't fault you there. <laughs> you were more terrible. Yep. That's all right. Yep. More selfish, I guess. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, I'm sure I did a bunch of shit that was crap. The equivalent of not folding the fitted sheet. I'm trying to think. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. I, I don't have any examples. Continue your barefoot story. Good. Continue to not have examples. I like it that way. <laughs> so Barefoot Investor, there's a bit in it where he talks about like, try and think of the things in your life that you've had for five years that you still really like. And I was like, shit, I don't know. Like I have a like, food trailer like that I've... Yeah, like things that you've had. I'm like, I've had a food trailer for five years that I fucking hate. <laughs> I, like I can't think of many things that i've had for that amount of time that i'm still like yeah yeah i i moved countries so i got rid of a lot of stuff but like i have some board games that are oh, not maybe not five years though when was five years ago 2012 i wasn't really into board games then and he has some figure that's like every christmas present of, of all the christmas presents that people get by like march the first like 80 percent of them are in landfill like yeah it's something ridiculous like that and and he's like look there's an environmental argument here which is all of these things take up resources and throwing them out is totally fucked and we need to take care of the planet but he's also like there's also another argument which is like when you look at all that stuff that people don't use or that gets thrown away or whatever think of like all of the human energy that went into making the money to buy that useless shit and i was like wow yeah like I used to really think about that when I was younger, maybe like 10 years ago. When I just left school, I was like, I'm independent. And um, <laughs> I I had like four different jobs and I went to uni full time and I would write down everything I would spend money on and I would plan all my meals for a week and only go to the supermarket once and I would not spend over $150 a week. Yeah. Which to me, I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. I don't know why I chose $150, but that was the number <laughs> that I chose. And yeah. so it meant that every decision that I made, I was like... It was a nilsom game. Oh, well, I was like, is this thing worth two hours of my time? Or, you know, like I thought of everything like that. And then as I kind of went on, I got a bit more lax. I mean, at the same time, I also ended up in a relationship where at the end of it, I think the person I was dating owed me $6,500. Which is another story, and a lot of money when you are 19. Still a lot of money now. 
Oh, still a lot of money now. I, I would I would happily take six and a half thousand. <laughs> still a lot of money now, but when you're 19, that's like, wow, that's so much money. That's like two years wages, yeah. Um, I have a bookshelf, a single like Billy style bookshelf. I'm not allowed to have any more board games than fit on that bookshelf. It's a, it's a self-imposed rule. And it means that whenever I'm like, do I want this game? I'm like, I would have to get rid of another game. I probably don't want this game. Like, do I like this better than another game in my collection? And would I get rid of that game in order to have this one? My mum does that with her shoes. She's got like <laughs> one of those shoe racks that has like a spot for each individual shoe. <laughs> so it's a good system. Like, I so really she... recommend it. If you're, if you're worried that you're buying too much stuff, set a physical limitation and then be like, I am only allowed to own what will physically fit here. If I want more stuff, I have to get rid of stuff from here. Well, the other thing that I was like is like, oh, I'm paying rent to be able to keep all of my keep all of this stuff that I don't use. Moving becomes way harder when you have more stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, the other thing that I realized is that like everything that you everything that you own takes time to have. It sounds silly, but like there, there's a cost just to owning stuff. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's a time cost. Of like figuring out where it goes, find things. looking after it. Like like having a car isn't just a monetary thing and it's also not just an environmental thing. It's also like a time thing. A management thing almost. Of like you have to manage everything that you own. Yeah. It's something that I've been really thinking about a lot in the past three months because just every single thing needs time from you and it's just it's just been driving me a bit crazy. <laughs> of like oh i do not want to spend time on any of these things that i have yeah no the, the ongoing not ongoing when lucy and i got together i was in a very 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 minimalist mood because i'd just moved countries and when you move countries you quickly go into a minimalist mood yeah i remember you were like it takes me like 10 minutes to clean up my whole house because i have no things it's great and then i moved in with lucy who had lived in the same place for six years and had no intention of moving and those are those are really good excuses to acquire infinite things. Yeah. So like he owns five hundred DVDs, and uh, I want to say owned because as we've stayed together longer, like more and more stuff has been cut. Because when you're dating someone who is getting rid of stuff, it's very easy to get rid of stuff. The flip side of that is when you're dating someone who has a lot of stuff, it's very easy to be tempted to acquire more stuff. So I've been really resolutely insisting that we do not buy anything that we don't need. Uh, we just went to dinner the other day with Lucy's uh, mum and stepdad and we were talking about the apartment that we're in and, and the stepdad was like, oh, well, you know, you'll want to move out of there to into a bigger place. And I was like, actually, I don't. Like, I really don't want to move into a bigger place because the more room you have, the more stuff you can fill it with. Uh, we have two bedrooms here, the one that Lucy and I mostly sleep in and then kind of like the spare one, which is also my bedroom if I bring dates home. And because I never go into that room unless I've got a date over, like... It's just full of stuff. And I'll go in there and be like, oh, that's right. I've got all this stuff. Damn it. I don't like having all this stuff. And so I have a friend who has a house and they're like, it is too big for us. Like it is crazy big. And they were showing me around once and there was like two or three full rooms that they never use. So there's just boxes in there of all this stuff that they own. And I was like, no, no, not for me, please. No, I do not want to have more space because then you have more stuff. And like you said, there's a cost to having more stuff. I'm very afraid of having stuff. I mean, of course, all of this is like hyper-privileged. Like, you know, this is like, this is rich people's problems, first world problems, hardcore 
I say that because I watched this film the other day by The Minimalists. Do you know The Minimalists? Is that a band? It's two dudes. Um, they're American and they quit their really high paying jobs to like have no things and go around the world telling other people how great it was to have no things. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, some parts of the film were a fucking parody. <laughs> there was this one bit where they're, they're talking to this, this woman and she's like, yeah, because, you know, like now if I'm going to a dress-up party, I'll like ask my friends if they have something that I can borrow. Like instead of going out and just buying something. And I didn't realize that this way of living would really bring me back to my community. And I'm just like... What a wanker. (laughs) I was just like, again, I think that they just also made... They didn't make some good editing decisions, so they made people look kind of silly. Like talking about the fact that it's so great that now they ask their friends to borrow things rather than buying stuff. I'm like, you just look like a bit of a dickhead and also it's like yeah to be in the position where you do have the option to have a job that pays you like half a million dollars a year and then you saw the light and now you realize that you don't need things is like a very very privileged place to be in sure but like at at the same time like i i don't i don't think it's a rich people thing to have too much stuff no i well yeah no i like i genuinely don't i think that People who have very little money do the exact same thing. Yeah, I suppose it's like, what was I thinking about? I, maybe just the, the Marie Kondo technique book is very, I read some reviews of it that were like, the attitude is very throw away things because if you need them, you can buy them again later. And I was like, hmm, interesting. But I think in general, in the Western world, we have too much stuff. Well, the thing I was going to say is that as you have less stuff, you can spend more stuff on the stuff that you have. And again, I don't think it's a rich people thing. I think that part of being broke, and I grew up like broke. We had no money when I was growing up. And part of being broke is that you tend to buy the thing you can afford and then it breaks and you have to buy it again. So like the classic example is a, a poor person will buy a pair of shoes for 50 bucks every six months. A rich person will buy one pair of $100 shoes the last some five years. Yeah, that's so funny. I'm so suspicious of that because I think sometimes there's not necessarily a difference in quality. It's just the difference in the brand, if that makes sense. Like, oftentimes there is difference in quality between something that costs 50 bucks and something that costs $200. Well, okay. But let's, let's use a car for an example then. If, sure. if you need a car and you cannot really afford a car, you'll buy the cheapest car you can buy and it'll break down all the time and you'll pay a bunch of mechanics fees and repair costs and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you can afford to buy a nice car, you do not have to pay those costs as an ongoing thing. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like printers. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the thing I was going to say is like, as you stop buying stuff, if you're like, look, I do actually need a desk, then you can be like, okay, I'm going to get a good desk. Yeah. Sometimes you get so afraid of being like coming across as privileged or whatever that you just shut down and the conversation dies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I imagine, not that interesting to listen to. And it's very boring to be on the other side of because I'm like, now am I defending buying a desk? Like no one wants to be in a conversation where they're like, no, I think it's okay to buy a desk. And no one really wants to listen to that conversation either. Okay. 
And that's the end of the podcast, I guess. Goodbye. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say in response to that. Well, like you, you were shutting down the conversation, and I don't know where to go from there other than defending buying a desk, which I can, but I don't think it's interesting. I actually need a new desk right now. <laughs> so I can talk about my desk. Please no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think maybe just in the last year in particular, I've had a bit of a journey in terms of realizing how pervasive my privilege is to my life. Like stuff like I was watching this movie the other day, Mermaids, it's got Cher in it and (laughs) Winona Ryder. Yeah. Do you know the movie? No. I don't know Winona Ryder. In, In this film, it's really chaotic and Cher's kind of like a, She's a mum, she'll end up dating someone in the town and then something will go to shit and then they'll move and they keep moving and there's this, I'm just, these are, there's heaps of spoilers here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of the few who were planning on like catching mermaids in a second weekend in cinemas, you're in trouble here. Like, And Winona Ryder's character is really interested in this guy and her mum knows that and then her mum ends up making out with this guy in front of her daughter like it's just uh, yeah it's you're like what the hell is happening and um <laughs> i'm so intrigued as to how this made you aware of privilege <laughs> at the end of the story at the end of the movie i was like wow it would be really hard to dedicate it well to have a good kind of academic experience if this was your adolescence was was like watching your mom make out with your boyfriend well just like her sister almost died because of something else and her mom not being there and blah 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 and that like just none of that stuff happened to me when I was going through my schooling and that that like I wasn't like oh I have it lucky right that sometimes privilege is you know it's the absence of difficulty it's not yeah oh this was so easy it's just I didn't have this struggle. Yeah, I didn't have this difficulty. And privilege is almost defined by the fact that you don't notice that you have it. Like, that's the point of, of check your privilege and all that kind of stuff, is that people are not aware of their own privileges in a massive way. Well, it's very hard to be, because to be aware of those things means to try to take on the perspective of someone who had a radically different experience to you, and also who you may never meet. Yeah. You know, like, that's what I find interesting is when I was in America, I was studying at the University of California, Berkeley, and over in America, they have a really big fraternity and sorority culture. I have seen movies. The same thing happens in Australia with, like, colleges and stuff where people can go into these kind of institutions and stuff. You know, a lot of people's friendship groups are based on being in, in those places at that time in their life, and then that bolsters those social networks for those people for like the rest of their life. You know, what's that thing of like, there's, there's some crazy fact of like the, the CEOs of fortune. The skull and bone society kind of thing. That like all the major CEOs of somewhere are from this one fraternity at this one place. The skull and bones, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like. Yeah, the connections you make there will boost you infinitely for years and years and years and years in ways that you might not even notice. 
Well, that, that one I think is more obvious because it's like, yeah, we're all in this together. But I think that happens for a lot of people like myself of, yeah. One thing that's been interesting recently as I've been working on the Starving Artist podcast. So I started that project being like, how can I find a way to ask people questions that you want to know the answer to that I want to know answers to. <laughs> And I just started out asking people I knew or friends of mine who I knew would have something good to say. And then those... <laughs> wait, wait, so, so there are two groups of people, people you knew and friends of yours. They're not mutually exclusive. I mean, like, <laughs> some of them were friends that I knew and had talked about with this thing. And I was like, yeah, I would love to record and talk to you about this more specifically. And some of them were people that I kind of knew about and saw what they were doing and wanted to ask them questions so just ask them if I could and then a lot of it was those people then telling me you should talk to this person they have a good thing to say about this thing yeah so it's very it's been really organic and just kind of like it hasn't really been that planned if that makes sense and then I realized like a month or two ago that I was like I think everyone I've interviewed is white and most of them are women. Like, almost all of them are women. Well, I mean, women do control Australia, so... Not true. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think everyone's white. I didn't ask people. Do you have to ask people if they're white? That, that, I don't think that's how it works. Well, you know, like, as in I'm just taking, like, at face value, and that's not necessarily accurate. But if someone's not white, you can generally see it. That's no, by definition what not, being not white is. Yeah, but not always. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, I didn't ask people, but that is my assumption, and my assumption may be wrong. But then I was like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, it does make sense because I'm friends with mostly white women. <laughs> so it makes sense that if I asked people that I know then that's what I would end up with. I don't know. I was, I felt like I was in this, I felt weird about it. One thing I've really been conscious of, and this is a bit of a tangent because I have no useful thoughts on race or gender. Uh, One thing that I've really noticed as I've gone through different creative communities is that most people are shit. And I don't mean that as like, I hate humanity, but like when it comes to a creative field, the vast majority of people are just not, great (laughs) i'm trying to work out a different way of phrasing that i can't um so like if you want to if you want to run an event you can get like 50 volunteers and 49 of those people will actually waste your time more than they will help sure and you very 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 quickly find the people who are not shit and you're like oh my god yes i can like ask you questions and get useful answers in response. If you're working on me with something, I can give you a task and it will come back completed. And that sounds like the most basic stuff. Like there, there's a famous, um, I think it's Neil Gaiman. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the moving, it's the mountain speech. He gives the three rules for freelancers, which is be good, be pleasant, and be punctual. You don't need all three. Two of those will do. Like that is the level of standard for like professional work is... If you're, if you're fun to work with and on time, people don't care if your work's that good. If your work's really good and you're pleasant to work with, people don't care if you're a bit late. 
if you're late if, if you're always on time and your work's really good people don't care if you're a dick like if you can hit two of those three you can reliably have a full-time professional creative career and and the fact is that most people just like just responding to messages or doing the tasks that you promise that you'll do are these basic basic lines and most people can't meet that standard it the more the more you collaborate the more you work with other people on various things the more you'll be like wow people just can't like I, I don't i think i've mentioned this to you before but if someone's ever like hey peter do you want to work on this thing i'm like yeah absolutely you do the first step that is my way of saying no to someone <laughs> because if i say yeah absolutely you do the first step they will not do the first step and so i can say no without ever sounding like i'm being rude or mean because most people just don't do that and so the thing that i've realized which ties into what you're saying is that as you work more creatively when you find the people who can match two out of those three or in rare circumstances three out of those three you latch onto them and you're like please i want to work with you forever let's get into a relationship and be married professionally it's it's one of the big after you and i broke up it was one of the big things that i missed like working with you is a joy and you get stuff done and it's good. But wait on, but I'm not pleasant. Are you saying that that's the two out of the three that I hit? I, I, I started with working with you as a joy. Oh, sure. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so you're saying I hit three out of three. Because while you were you saying three out of three. <laughs> while you were saying all that stuff, I was like, ooh, I'm not necessarily good at those things. So like sometimes you suffer with punctuality a bit, but you're very pleasant to work with and you get stuff done. And we are as as a team we're working on ways to get you to do stuff by deadlines <laughs> uh we just moved everything over to the new squarespace website for being honest with my ex and after moving it all sj you were like oh the links are all broken in the show description <laughs> and you had a task for me that uh, a music task that you'd been promising you would do for two months to be real like, if- to be real i did do it and then you wanted you? a revision <laughs> tell the story sj <laughs> tell the people what happened peter wanted some intro music for your other podcast let's write a film which you do with your brother and you're like i want it it has to say this and it needs some music and it needs to sound good <laughs> and it needs to be quick like it needs to be a snappy like 10 second thing oh i didn't hear that bit anyway your I... response felt like you did <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be funny to do a version because I was having a lot of trouble actually actually doing it because it's really not my style and Peter's terrible at giving notes on anything musical. Like, really, like, I just cannot decipher have, your instructions. <laughs> I have very useful thoughts and no, I don't have the language to convey them because I'm not a music person, so I can't be no, like... No, but the way... Yes, just tenor the tone and then reverberate the, the lyrics. <laughs> but the way, that you, the way that you express things is, like, confusing. I remember you giving me feedback on, on a song once before and you were like, can you put more words in it? And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? It turns out you meant play the song faster. But what you said was, can you put more words into it? And and so the notes you give, I find like genuinely incomprehensible. So I was just like making something and I ended up making this thing and it was really sad. And I thought it would be funny to give you a version of the intro that was obviously 
not appropriate. The opposite of what I wanted. But I also didn't really know completely what you wanted. And then with the intention that I would then give you another one. I thought that it would be hilarious that on your podcast, you would have a period at the start where you would have a new intro every week. Does that make sense? Until you got to the final one. Yeah, you you came up with all these ideas without running them by me. Like, we still haven't launched Let's Try to Film because we've been waiting on this music bit. Well, cause... And so from my point of view, I was like, hey, can you do this? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. Here you go. And I was like, this this is unusable. And you're like, ha gotcha. And then two months of <laughs> silence. <laughs> no, I was like, you don't get it. It's going to be funny. You should try it. You should do it. It's going to be funny. Yeah, no, it was, it was like not suitable. And then I explained the context and you were like, oh, yeah, that's not suitable. And then nothing for two months. And so then the other day we were like, look, we've got to go through and redo all these fucking show descriptions to update all the links. And so I was like, okay, if you get the intro to me in three days, I will do it. If you don't, you will do it. Two days and 22 hours later, (laughs) you were like, hey, here's the intro. And I was like, (laughs) look, that is worth it. Because I haven't been wanting to nag because you've been having a really stressful two months. But also... I need this intro and you promised it to me. And so, yeah, we are, we are working on ways of making you more punctual. Anyway, my point is that if you find someone in a creative community who is at the same level as you in terms of like being an amateur, who can actually do stuff that is good and actually is good to work with, you will tend to bond with that person and be more likely to collaborate with that person. So when you hear stories of like, oh yes, this famous actor back before they were famous was famous as this famous actor and this famous actor. My theory is that that's at least partially because the people who actually have talent and have the drive tend to find each other pretty early. And that's not the only factor, but like in my experience, that is definitely uh, a factor. So like yeah. I, I mentioned in the past that I filmed a sitcom called Robbie and Peter when I was living in Brisbane, I was 22 years old or 21 years old, something like that. I wrote and filmed a, a sitcom. And as part of that, we put out a call out for actors and it was just an open audition. We auditioned 50 people and there were two that were just spectacular. Like they were so good. They got the character. They were very, very funny. They were both super pleasant. And uh, one was an Asian guy called Remy and one was a white guy called Ben. And because we'd already cast the mother, we decided to go with Ben over Remy uh, because the mother was was white. And we we're like, look, we don't want to write like a, a reason for this, blah, blah, blah. Look, if I was doing it again now, I might not go that same way. But we filmed this guy called Ben O'Toole and we passed this guy called Remy He. Ben O'Toole just had a part in an Oscar award winning film. Remy He, I think, was nominated for some Logies because like, th- and this was all, what, 10 years ago now? Fuck yeah, ten, about 10 years ago that we did all this. And they both went on to do amazing things because they're amazing actors. And so like, if they go on to become the next Brad Pitt or whatever, and I go on to be successful in my field, I can be like, yeah, I worked with that guy when we were no ones because drive and talent tend to find each other. And I might not have had talent, but I definitely had drive. Just to be clear, I don't, I just want to be clear. I don't want anyone to, I don't think that you mean it this way, but I don't want anyone to interpret the idea that because I'm doing this podcast, starving artist and then I ended up with all white women <laughs> I don't want that to be misinterpreted as I think that only <laughs> like I think only white women are talented and have drive you know, you know there was a there was a big risk of people listening to this and being like oh she's a feminist white supremacist that rhymes this all makes sense now <laughs> I mean you know we've listened to other episodes and SJ seemed like a sensitive soul who is accepting of all types but it turns out She's deeply racist and sexist. There, there was yeah. a big risk of that. I'm glad. I'm glad that you clarified. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm really glad too. That sounds. I would have been <laughs> not being able to sleep at night if people had have thought that. Genuinely, it makes me worried though that I'm 
well, makes me go like, oh, wow, yeah. And and just think about like my responsibility as a person who's making content. It, it, like, because I started this project being like, oh, I'll just, yeah, I suppose I'll just do it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm actually launching this thing. I am creating content and what I'm doing. Your choices carry weight. Even if they didn't carry weight when you made the choices, the results still carry weight. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of, I don't like that. And at the same time, I'm not, I have done all of the episodes and I'm not going to go back. And it's a balance of, I want to interview people because I think they have something good to say. Um, and oh, fuck, that's not, oh God. What I mean you is I'm really <laughs> stressing way too much about this. No one is concerned except for you. <laughs> I just mean, I, I'm not, I, it would be disingenuous to interview someone. Well, I mean, you say that, but that's the argument against uh, equal opportunity employment. Totally. And what people miss about that, and this this always frustrates me. So I, I feel like you're falling into the same trap. People are like, oh, well, I don't have to, I don't want to hire a woman just because she's a woman. I want to hire the best person for the job. But like, totally. To begin with, best person for the job. Like, okay, so your podcast, I'm going to use that as a great example. You could interview one of a million people and end up with a roughly equivalently equal episode. What do you mean? Like, there are a million people that you could interview and have an episode that was just as good no matter which of them you interview. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most jobs that people are talking about are very similar. Like, I might go in a slightly different direction to someone else, but ultimately we're both going to do a good job there. And you can't, through the interview process, through the employee selection process, pick the best person for the job. It's just impossible. You will pick... You will pick someone who's good, and the fact is that uh, there there are there are women, there are people of color who are going to be as good at that job, but will never have the same opportunity to have that job. And so, when you hire a woman, you're not not hiring the best person for the job. You're hiring someone who is just as good for the job, but wouldn't otherwise have had the opportunity to show that. Yeah, totally. And so, you like I, I understand what you're saying. You don't want to interview people just for the sake of their color but at the same time like the people you interview are probably going to be just as interesting to talk to regardless of their color or even especially because of the color of their skin yeah totally totally and then to to compound that you also don't want to be like oh i'm interviewing someone who's not white let's talk about how not white they are you don't want to fall into that trap either exactly that's 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 what i mean i think it's just there's a couple of points of tension and my thinking is oh wow that's what happened Next time, I'm going to be much more intentional about this. Yeah, absolutely. And by that, I mean stuff like, like there were people that I asked who were people of color or from, you know, more diverse, and they didn't respond to like, you know, like they. So in, in your case, the best person for the job is the person who replies and lets you interview them. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me go like, oh, yeah, I need like that. You know, that's the thing that you have to. You have to be proactive about yeah. that. I want to talk about two things, then we should wrap up. Do you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg? No. She is one of the Supreme Court justices in the US. She's one of the eight currently sitting Supreme Court justices. Did Barack choose her? No. I, oh, I'd be very surprised. I think she's been around for like 20 years. I'm going to look that up because I actually don't know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's she's amazing. Like she's She's a real character and she's very liberal and she's a woman in one of the most powerful positions you can be in America and has been for... She's one, of, she's one of the four female justices who have ever been appointed on the Supreme Court. She was the second, and she was appointed by Clinton in 1993. I was four years old. Someone asked her once, you know, at what point, like, how many, how many female justices do you think we need to, you know, show that we've, we've done it? 
you know, you know the mm. question. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but the question was, you know, how how many? Yeah, do we yeah, need? yeah. So there are eight Supreme Court justices. She's one of them. She's one of four who have ever been Supreme Court justices. There are three currently sitting. Mm-hmm. And someone asked her, "How many female Supreme Court justices do you think we need?" And she was like, "Look, I think that we will prove inequality when we get eight sitting at once." Oh, as in when all of when all of the Supreme Court justices are yeah. women. And the response, as you can imagine, was. What, that's not equality. That's, you know, that's the thing people are afraid of with feminism of like women should take over. And she's like, no, there have been eight male Supreme Court justices without it being a big issue. Yeah. We will have reached equality when there can be eight female Supreme Court justices without it being a big deal. And I was like, oh my God, like your instinct, I don't know about you, but my instinct, maybe because I'm a man, was to be like, it's like, no, like, no, that's, that's not what we want, Uh, which is fucked. Like, it's really fucked up. The other thing I was going to say is that in order to tip it, like you can't, you know, if, if everyone who is massively progressively feminist and, say, writing sitcoms is like, okay, half my characters are going to be female, everyone who is not progressively feminist is not going to do that, and so the balance is still going to be weighted towards men. So in order to get equality, sometimes you need to tilt it the other way, you know? Have you heard of um, the difference between a balanced view and a balancing view? Is this the is this the little comic with the fence? I don't know what that comic is. Oh, it's so good. It, it's... I'll describe it. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's these uh, three guys of different heights standing behind a fence. Oh, yeah, I know this comic, yeah. So there's three guys of different heights standing behind a fence, and it's like, this is equality, and you give a, a standing block to each of them. So now, like, the guy who could already see across the fence can still see. The next guy can see, and the third guy still can't see. And what is it? It's, this is a equ- equality and equivalence. Equivalence is giving everyone one block, and then equality is giving the guy who needs three, three, the guy who needs one, one, and leaving the other guy without them. And that's kind of the idea behind, like equal opportunity employment yeah totally totally giving everyone an equal opportunity to have the job and you can you can be like oh the best person for the job should get it oh isn't it weird that's always white guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally oh i with this podcast i don't i'm not like oh i've chosen the best people for the job or anything i'm just like i chose the people that i knew you had they all turned it yeah like it was very like un unintentional sort of choosing so balanced versus balancing. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I've been working on a project which is about creating spaces for people to explore messy life stuff, crisis and distress outside of the medical model. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we're trying to work out how we want to do it. So there's one option which is I'm going to present this or do it in a balanced way, which means giving equal voice to different perspectives so that might mean like you know this is a thing and you can talk about the medical view here and you can talk about the trauma view here and you can talk about the spiritual view or blah 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 you know like everything's equal blah 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 blah. it's like what happens in the climate change debate where we have okay here's a scientist who does believe in climate change and here's a scientist who doesn't believe in climate change look there's different opinions and they're kind of weighted let's give them equal weight yeah yeah so that's kind of balanced balancing is when you are are actually trying to sort of tip the scales in some way so in when i'm thinking about this project that i'm working on i'm like actually there's heaps of spaces where people can go and talk about a medical understanding of these experiences and this space is not for that and it doesn't mean you cannot talk about it it just means like if that's what you want to talk about this probably isn't you can still have that understanding and you can still come but it's a place about exploring kind of like different ideas and because those kinds of spaces are actually really uncommon 
so that's about kind of balancing trying to give space to something that doesn't have very much space and so yeah the the, the thing i was going to say in that regard is that like i am writing a show called night crew at the moment it's taking up a lot of my time and i am like after every draft i just go in and change every male character into a woman <laughs> And so, like, there's there's two men on the main cast and three women on the main cast, and then there's guest characters. And every episode, at the end of it, I'm just like, okay, and those are all now women. And that is that is my attempt to do a balancing rather than a balanced perspective. Yeah, is that thing of like, if you have the progressives making all their cast half women, and then you have people who aren't progressive, like making their cast mostly men, you'll still end yeah. up with mostly men. Yep. <laughs> We have an outro this week from Heather. I started like tearing up a little bit. Uh, Heather is one of my close friends and she's been listening to the podcast I think since we started and always meant to send it an outro and since she said that one I've listened to it like 15 times. <laughs> it's so, it's so good. good. And she she used the like you know like it's a from my understanding, it's a take off the intro music. Oh, see, I, I'm tone deaf so I didn't even pick up on that. I don't think you can tell because but she's like yeah, it's just taking the <laughs> intro music and turning it to the outro. So thank you so much, Heather. That's fucking amazing. We love you. Thank you, Heather. You're the best. I feel bad that, that Heather's outro got put on 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 an episode where we had a shitty fight. We had a shitty fight? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, I didn't even... Tiny bit. There was a tiny moment of a fight. By shitty, I mean like a crap sort <laughs> well, It wasn't of even a good fight. That's what I mean. It wasn't even a good fight. It was like... Sort of a mediocre one. Well, that's okay. It's it's not even a good outro, so so fuck Heather. No, no, no. That's <laughs> no, that's the opposite. That's the opposite of what's happening. No, that was amazing. Heather has now raised the bar for outros. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, send us one even if even if it's not a minute and thirty seconds long and contains like multiple layers of sound. <laughs> we we do love hearing from amazing. you. Amazing. And we hope that you like hearing from us because you'll hear from us next week. Next week. Goodbye. Next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) So good. Holy shit. What the fuck?
every now and then I uh, just appreciate the shit out of people who listen to this show.